You're listening to Seeking Change, the podcast where industry collaborates on eco-efficient minerals and made possible by our visionary sponsors. In today's episode, Seek CEO Alison Keogh interviews Mark Allen, director of Engeco and author of a new independent report commissioned by the Weir Group that examines direct energy use and emissions from mine sites. The report focuses on five major commodities, copper, gold, iron ore, nickel and lithium, and draws from over 40 published studies. Mark is a chemical engineer who has worked on mineral processing plants across industries, including the mining industry, and he's been on the SEEK board since 2018. At the time of the interview, Mark was based in Singapore and is now based in Perth, Western Australia. Mark specialises in energy, greenhouse gas management and climate change strategy and has been doing so since 2007. Okay, welcome Mark Allen. Um, Fantastic to have you here today. Um, You're a chemical engineer, you've worked on mineral processing plants across um, industries, including the mining industry, and you've been on the seat board since 2018. And now you're based in Singapore, specialised in energy, greenhouse gas management and climate change strategy, and you've been doing that since 2007. It's fantastic to have your skills on the seat board with that energy um, specialty. So tell us your view about seek and why you got involved yeah thanks very much Alison. and um it, it is really a pleasure to be on on this board and be part of you know this this global movement as well i think it's really really exciting uh, well, what i really like about seek and, and the reason i'm involved is actually because you know i feel like seek are doing a really 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 good thing in terms of energy management and minimizing the impacts of the mining industry as a whole um, and targeting one of the really, really key focus areas for for energy and emissions um, for the industry. And that focus is comminution in particular, but comminution and mineral processing, how they link together and how that integrates across uh, the mining value chain. How do you think SEEK actually helps industry with that? Yeah, so it's actually all, I see SEEK as like an advocacy organisation as well as sort of a knowledge sharing organisation that uh, provides a whole lot of really, really good information around what the industry is doing around particularly energy use in the communication area. Uh, and as you said, you know, it's the, it's the largest energy user typically on a single energy user on a um, normal mineral processing site. And it's actually a really great place to target areas to reduce energy and therefore reduce emissions and reduce impact and all of these things. I'm going to um, throw you a question off the cuff here. You've been involved in probably, you know, 100 or something like that, or a lot of energy audits on mine sites. What do you yeah. find are the biggest um, areas for improvement? And are there simple steps that can be done on sites? Yeah, there are some simple steps that can be done. And obviously some very, very complex steps that can be done. There's a real mix in, in between. Some of it, you know, uh, stems from actually just behaviour change and actually knowing that there's an issue that uh, needs to be dealt with and potentially you know, having visibility on energy use and knowing how much energy goes into a certain process is really, really eye-opening for a lot of the, um, the companies that I've dealt with over, over my time. Now there are a whole bunch of like really, really big projects like uh, advanced process control on um, 
combination circuits or getting into this area of geometallurgy where we can link up geology and mining and, and processing so we know and using big data to figure out you know what we're processing at any one time you know there's some of the really really big ticket items but uh, a lot of times it's actually just a lot about having visibility of, of energy consumption and having this information filtering through an organization so that people can actually manage for ideally an objective function which is to continue to to process tons at minimum energy costs and i suppose realistically if a mine site is powered by diesel which a lot of them are that's a very very expensive way to generate electrons so it all becomes you know really good bottom line uh, impacts so in those audits what do you typically see which mining steps and activities are the key targets for energy efficiency improvement across a mine site including mining combination and processing what do you typically see are the low-hanging fruit yeah um really great question so comminution is indeed one area that is a target because it is a big energy user and small incremental savings that you can achieve through a comminution circuit can have really big impacts on on bottom line but other areas that are actually probably easier lowing handling fruits something like ventilation in underground mines and actually you know switching fans off in secondary headers when nobody's working in them that's a huge saving really easy to do and you could do it either really technically and have special systems or just you know instill in everyone uh, all of the underground workers that they should be actually turning these things off when they leave a particular header for example um so ventilation is a big area optimization of haul track patterns and optimizing the amount of time you're spent sort of hauling versus waiting um because typically a haul truck will sit there and waiting with its engine on which is now just wasted energy um and that sort of thing so, so there's quite a few small-ish changes that you can make that are largely behavior driven as well and then we start getting into the really big things you know and if there's an opportunity to change our plants and equipment for higher efficiency equipment and if there's you know even an, a, an opportunity to maybe change out parts of the grinding circuit for more efficient pieces of equipment that can obviously have a huge effect but uh, you also don't want to forego the capital that you've already spent on a large piece of equipment in the first place so it's a real balance and um, really a lot of work goes into creating the business case for such things and what do you reckon the the kind of order of magnitude impact is for those sort of low-hanging fruit perhaps um you know low cost solutions such as understanding you know using better data and process systems control and optimizing yeah. energy use are we talking five percent ten percent twenty percent more you know of energy efficiency improvements what kind of level i mean i know it depends on the site it absolutely depends on the site but um i'm quite fond of saying that i could almost go in you could go into most sites and probably find five to ten percent squeeze five to ten percent out reasonably easily with minimal capital expenditure um so I think some of those low-hanging fruit, yeah, generally you'd see around, you could get about 5% without without too much trouble. And then anything over and above that is that when you have to start spending some serious. And you're talking about energy efficiency improvements or lower energy use per tonne or ounce of metal produced, are you, when you're saying five? Yeah, they sort, of, they sort of go hand in hand, yes. Yep. Fantastic. So that also means um, higher productivity potentially too, depending on where yeah. the focus is. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, look, there's a real 
there's been a focus for some years on um, hindsight productivity as well. If uh, you've seen any of the stats coming out of Australia or even the US and some other places, hindsight productivity as a whole has been sort of steadily declining for a number of reasons, you know, lower grades and deeper raw bodies and uh, all these other sort of physical things that go into making a mindset overall less productive. Yeah, it is a real focus for the industry too. So that's a win-win on productivity and energy efficiency. If you can go into a site, a typical site, and often get 5% or more efficiency improvements out of that site just by doing an energy audit and focusing on where you can target and some low cost actions to improve. That's really inspiring to hear that. Yeah. Um, and of course, I, I presume that, you know, if you really put a bit more work and, and some small capex or, or systems in place, you could get a lot more out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I will say one thing that is a huge, huge opportunity is doing this energy efficiency work and identifying the really big ticket energy efficiency items that you can do at the design stage for a greenfields project. That That is key because once a plant is built, then you're effectively stuck within the confines of that plant. So you can only make sort of little incremental changes unless you're going to go to the trouble of changing out equipment. Uh, but if you can design a plant for, you know, the optimum point in this trade-off between energy efficiency and, uh, and overall capex, then you're in a much better place longer term and, and doing actually this um, analysis around, you know, total cost of ownership for a mine site to get the optimum outcome. And of course, with existing plants, that's really critical right around the world because that's what we've got for the next you know, decade or more. There are, of course, going to be um, new designs that come online, but we need to tackle energy efficiency and productivity with the huge industry that we've got already with the existing plant. And from what I hear from some of our other directors' discussions and people in our network is that you can get um, potentially a lot more than 5% when you start focusing on the bottlenecks to productivity and particularly the combination circuit itself, um, the way you approach the grinding media, the way you operate that mill, the way you might respond to hard and soft and variable ore, um, the, the way that sensor technology can be deployed and, and the big data, AI, um, fantastic developments that are happening in our industry. Do you want to comment on, on that? Yeah, and that is actually a huge area of... Um of interest, uh, I think, and I, I mentioned it before, that this, this, this concept of geometallurgy, and it's been around for a very long time, right, but uh, there are still many operations sort of struggling to figure out how exactly to implement this, but, but what conceptually what that means is you know exactly what's in your ore body at any one time. Right. And it's all split up into little blocks. And uh, actually, you would know a lot more about this than I would. <laughs> but um, uh, you, you've got basically a really high fidelity model of the ore body. And then if you're using big data and sensors, then you know exactly which part of the ore body you're tackling at any one time. So you know to a reasonable amount of certainty what's inside even a particular truck as it goes from sort of the mine face to the processing plant, which then means that the metallurgist or the process engineer at the processing plant knows exactly what's on the ROM pad. So then they can optimize the, um, the plant to suit the exact feed that's coming through. Typically, that's not been done very, very well. And um, you know, you've been in the industry, so you've known that there is you know, quite a lot of disconnect between what's going on sort of with geology versus mining versus um, the metallurgists. But uh, with big data, then you can actually have a pretty good view of what's going on all the way through the process. Now, then what you can do 
using an AI engine or something similar, then you can start to bring in all of this external information. So external information about markets or external information about, um, about weather or uh, uh, things that might actually impact you know, commodity pricing. And then there's an ability to actually optimize the entire enterprise from shovel or actually from geology all the way through to product for an overall enterprise objective function, which will no doubt maximize profitability at any one time and have the system actually make the changes to the plant itself to, to suit. So really interesting times in terms of the amount of data that's available. And realistically, mine science processing facilities collect so much data and so little of it is used. And sometimes it's just data collection for data collection's sake. It's just all these systems that are scraping data all the time, but not necessarily utilizing that for um, so for something useful. I think it's a really exciting time of change with the power of big data, like you say, you know, to be able to track those parcels of, of material and ore through the process, really optimize it to drive um, a lot more value and efficiencies um, and productivity. Um, I suppose it's a bit like advanced mine to mill improvement on steroids with big data and artificial intelligence. Mm, correct. Machine learning. correct algorithms and that will help us to continue to improve and better understand our bodies can only get better from here so really interesting time to be in. indeed indeed I, I should say as well you know the the other thing that's sort of working in in favor of this uh, concept is the fact that sensors are actually so cheap and they're becoming more robust and you can put sensors everywhere and and i've seen you know evidence uh, recently as well of companies putting sensors inside grinding media so inside the mill ball, so you actually can get a real time view of what the mill is actually doing. And that, that's really, really interesting stuff. And it's not the sort of thing that you could do previously because sensors are really expensive and if they break, that's a real problem. But now they're just so cheap that if they're inside a mill bowl, then um, you just chuck another one in because it's, it's not expensive and we've got good wireless connectivity and um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really exciting time. Fantastic. And yeah, absolutely. And then some of the ones that come to mind are um, one of Seek sponsors, Molycop, um, got a high commendation um, in the Seek metal process last year where they actually have sensors inside grinding balls. Um, really innovative mm -hmm. thinking where you can be looking at well, how, how is the impact occurring in that big mill and how can we really optimize that? Um, and of course there's sensors around the mill and some really um, fantastic systems that are, are being done with, with the, the sonic and, and other signals coming from around the mill too, to really yep. detect when there's issues. There's some good work um, by Petra Data Science by Emi Alec Metal. And then sensors on the conveyors and elsewhere are getting down to lower mm. and lower levels of detection. And I'm thinking of some of Thermo Fisher scientific sensors in particular, um, which means that we're able to really also not only um, optimize inside the combination circuit, but be looking at detecting um, the variability of all grades at much lower um, percentages or much lower you know, parts per million so that we can um, respond to changes in grade and, and do pre-concentration and ore sorting and particle sorting more effectively. So it's a really exciting area with the sensor technologies yeah. being developed. 
Mm, absolutely. We just need to use the data now. That's the yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put the people onto it. Um, and also there's, you know, there needs to be a balance to focus on productivity. Well, what drives value in, in any particular mine site? What is a bottleneck? And often it is a combination circuit, which happens to also be one of the most energy intensive steps, particularly for hard rock metalliferous mining. But sometimes on some sites, you know, perhaps the key is to decarbonize the energy source. I want to talk about that for a minute. There's a really big move by a lot of mining companies to um, look seriously at and install hybrid and renewable systems to decarbonize their energy source and to save money, particularly where energy costs are high. Would you like to comment on what you're seeing is happening in industry in terms of the uptake and the appetite and, uh, you know, the approaches being used on that? Yeah, and, and it's huge. You're absolutely correct. This is something that everyone is, is talking about. I, I mentioned before that uh, diesel-fired power is the most expensive power you can make. Well, maybe nuclear is a bit more expensive, but we're not going to put that on a mine site. So, so diesel-fired power, really, really expensive because the cost of diesel is so high. And really, anything that you can do to reduce the amount of diesel going into a power plant, you will likely be able to pay for. So, so you could almost justify the installation of a solar PV, a supplemental solar PV and integration into a diesel power plant just with the savings you make on the diesel. It's, it's really mind-blowing and that, that's because, you know, like I said, diesel is really expensive and solar is really, really cheap. So this concept of now hybrid power stations where you have solar PV or you have solar and wind integrated within an existing um, fossil fuel fired power station is really, really taken off. And then you basically have like a, a, a battery in the middle, some sort of energy storage just to, to get you over that hump because, you know, you could lose your solar relatively quickly um, if there's you know, a big cloud bank or if it's um, a, a storm comes over or something like that. So you need time to start up your traditional power station so you end up with a little battery in the middle maybe for like an hour of storage um, now hybrid makes sense today in um, almost every off-grid application and it's really dependent on uh, a little bit how much resource do you have available so in a place like australia where there's loads and loads of solar you know it makes a whole lot of sense to, to do this if you've got the land available to you uh, and um, in many places where mine sites are there's also quite a lot of wind available and and thankfully the wind and the solar resource often work at opposite times so you have solar during the day and it can be quite windy at night time which means then you've got much more coverage from a um, renewable power plant but with wind though you do you need to do a lot more testing you need to have you know masts up and uh, figure out what your wind resource actually is and do a serious amount of testing over many months before you can justify building it but this move to to more renewables is certainly a a huge trend in the industry there's a number of players who've already put in a lot of um, renewable energy capacity all over the country and all over the world to power their mine sites just because it is it is so much cheaper it's a little bit more difficult if you're grid connected because it's a bit more difficult to get the business case there um, and will take a little bit longer to pay off the um or to get a return on the renewable energy but um, it will also come and in a lot of places there is already grid parity with solar at least 
Now to go full renewables, that actually becomes a little bit more difficult because now you need a whole lot of storage or a whole lot of ability to generate electrons during the time when the sun is down or when the wind's not blowing. So I do see a lot of movement in that area and a lot of growth in the battery industry and with sort of more novel technologies like using hydrogen for energy storage, that's something that's becoming a little bit more interesting and uh, uh, potentially has some pretty good application across the mining industry. So hybrid makes sense in almost any off-grid mine site. Um, what do you typically see as a payback period, you know, for a typical hybrid system and what percentage of renewables might be an easy win to, to implement at a site that, you know, to help decarbonise and reduce the energy costs and, and um, take on that different energy source? What are you typically seeing? Yeah, gosh, um, <laughs> that is actually a bit of a difficult question to answer, but uh, there, it would be within the realms of possibility to see a one to two year payback for um, even any amount of solar inside a, a diesel fired um, system. That that wouldn't be uh, too hard to achieve a little bit long, longer if you're on gas, because gas is a little bit cheaper than, than diesel. So we're talking sort of five or six years payback for, for that sort of thing. Um, but uh, they're, they're the sorts of numbers that, that we're, we're talking about. Now, you know, there's really not, not really a cutoff that, that in terms of size of renewable energy um, power plant that, that sort of makes sense. You know, the, the way renewable energy actually is, it's it, the, the marginal cost of installing an extra, an extra panel, an extra solar panel is actually quite small. So, so you're better off just installing as much as you can um, or as much as you like from an economic point of view. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a similar story with residential solar at your house. You're better off just putting as much as you can on and, um, and it will pay for itself relatively or the, the incremental cost um, of that extra panel will pay for itself relatively quickly. So we've had EDL Energy talking at our um, Seek Adelaide workshop and they talked about the percentage of renewables um, that you could implement in a typical hybrid system with, that's quite affordable without too many um, changes to the plant um, in terms of uh, supply and reliability of the energy source. What sort of percentages do you typically see are being implemented now and, and where could we get to? Yeah, and, and so this is now, now a question about integration. Uh, and when you start getting to higher and higher renewable energy penetration into your little microgrid, then it actually becomes a lot more difficult to, to integrate neatly. Um, so, to, just to give you an example, if you had 100% of your peak power being supplied by your solar PV plant and then all of a sudden there was a cloud, then you're going to lose that pretty quickly right? and, and you need a, a significant amount of storage to give you the time to, to go start something up. Uh, so what I would normally see is sort of around about 30-40% is relatively easy to achieve with a battery in the middle um, or some sort of energy storage in the middle. Anything higher than that, then certainly some expertise on integration uh, will be you know, very, very welcome, uh, I think. And then you have to start spending a little bit more capital to make the whole thing work um, neatly. And because at the end of the day, the and this is one of the reasons why renewable uptake uh, to date has not been so high in the mining industry, the number one thing is actually security of supply, making sure that we still have electrons going into into the site. Now, 
And just interesting that there may be some things in, in future around optimization. So instead of optimizing the supply to the demand, is there a way to now optimize the demand to the supply? Is there a way that we can actually manage operations of a mine site? So instead of being sort of one big peak load that goes all the time, we can actually follow the amount of um, energy that we're supplying to it from a more renewable renewables based system. So just something to think about for, for the future. I don't know the answer to that right now, but um, it, it seems like it might be a really interesting sort of thought experiment to consider. Yeah, and I think that as we um, get the experience and share the knowledge, we'll get better and better at it, you know. Um, and as we, um, you know, big data will be really important to, to work out how to, how to really optimise that as well. And as we install those new energy sources into plants, sharing the knowledge, the case studies are really important to help all of in industry. So I think SEEK can play a role in that. I hope that we can. And I hope that mining companies implementing those lower emissions um, energy sources with success will be willing to publish and share and talk about it through SEEK. Um, there are some examples that come to mind that, that have been shared through SEEK workshops. Um, Agnew is one of them. Oz Minerals at Caputina is looking at implementing renewables. West Musgraves in Australia, a whole bunch in Chile um, and many others around the world. And of course there's um, uh, METS companies or suppliers um, such as Mollycop and Weir and Emilec Metal who are really investing in powering their manufacturing centres with renewables, um, which is fantastic to see. That's really important right across industry. I, I wanted to ask you if you can think of some other examples um, off the cuff here of some that, that are good to learn from. And of course, we'll go and seek those and trying to share some of the um, success stories via the SEEK website. Indeed. And um... I think we'd be remiss not to mention Sandfire. Um, Sandfire, one of the early movers in, in this area, uh, operation in Western Australia, the uh, Degreeso Copper Mine. So they've been doing a lot in, in, in quite a large hybrid system for a long time. FMG are looking very, very strongly into renewables and hydrogen and, um, uh, and making ammonia and doing all sorts of crazy things up there. But um, uh, before all of that, they're actually looking um, and partnering with, I think, Alinta to put in renewable energy capacity at their operations, um, also in the Pilbara. Uh, one of the first renewable powered sites was actually one way up in Northern Canada, the Divic Diamond Mine. I think it was a Rio Tinto site. Um, uh, they've been wind power for a very long time just because it's actually really, really difficult to get diesel into site um, because it's, you know, the roads are only icy enough to drive on for a certain amount of time of the year. So, you know, huge business case, huge driver to, to put in renewables there. So it's certainly something that's um, that's growing quite a lot. I probably should also mention, um, I think goldfields in, in Southern Africa are doing a lot, um, not only in Australia, but also in, in Africa in terms of renewables and uh, uh, these hybrid systems for their mine sites. As well. So it makes business sense in a lot of sites, uh, mine sites around the world, particularly where diesel is a part of the current energy source. And of course, uh, you know, what can be put in place depends on the location in the world, the energy price, 
and the availability of solar and wind and hydro, um, you know, low emissions energy resources available in that local region. But it looks like it's here to stay and it's only going to take off across the industry as, as uh, mining companies and, and METS companies or suppliers commit to net zero and ESG actions to reduce their carbon footprint. Absolutely. I, I should also say as well, you know, that there's a real opportunity for things that currently aren't electrified that should could be electrified and and when i think of my my sort of steps for decarbonization I, I always say the number one step is actually electrify everything that you can and then decarbonize the electricity system so with sort of this growth in battery electric haul trucks for underground you know that that's something that's you know cutting edge technology and and um, uh, being implemented at a few mine sites around the world in particular Kirkland Lake um, in the US they're going fully battery electric for all of their um, their underground vehicles so this now puts more pressure on the electricity supply and you know so to get now truly zero emissions you know and you could almost see a time when you could get to zero absolute emissions for um a mine site with the right mix of renewable energy plus some sort of energy storage be it batteries or hydrogen or whatever and then electric vehicles then you know we should be able to find a way to get to actually zero emissions mining which would be really really interesting okay mark i'm going to turn back to seek now what do you think is unique about SEEK and what value does it bring to industry in your view? Yeah, well, I think, as I said before, I'm, I'm not sure that a similar organisation, you know, really exists, to be honest. Uh, I um, Maybe it does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an organisation that's sort of born from industry, featuring people who are all industry experts. And, um, you know, I, I can hopefully speak on behalf of all the directors, but we're all obviously very busy and invested and actually doing things um, for, for SEEK as well and, and contributing to, to the conversation. And, you know, I said before, I think SEEK's role is really around this, this whole knowledge sharing and, and, you know, providing these case studies and examples of where the mining industry is doing really, really good things and other parts of the mining industry can learn because when, you know, we all progress and we all improve we can all improve the whole industry together and and achieve you know our overall goals you know the, the mining industry itself whilst critical and absolutely required for everything that we have around us right I'm, I'm looking at the the outputs of the mining industry on my desk everywhere i put my eyes at the moment right uh, but the mining industry is not exempt from having to do things in a sustainably environmental responsible manner and actually minimize their impact wherever possible and, and seek plays a really really important role in enabling some of these big changes to take place and, and sharing this knowledge across the industry so then others can take advantage of it well said so seek can influence mining leaders and technical leaders and help them to be more informed and to share knowledge quicker would you say that's the case yes that's much more succinct <laughs> that's okay no i love what you're saying um and seek in that sense is really helping industry to drive actions on esg correct Okay, so six events obviously have moved from face to face and we're, we're going more online and we're in the process of that due to the pandemic, like everybody else in industry. What do you see as the potential through SEEK 
events um, online or face-to-face -face events to collaborate, to drive forward those ESG actions and that knowledge sharing on those technical um, areas that can be implemented at sites. Okay, yeah, so SEEK's got a really, really important role and has done a lot of really amazing things around workshops and, and again, this knowledge sharing where we bring industry together. Uh, we're all in a room and we're all actually talking about common topics and things that are actually of interest to the industry as well that potentially other parts of the industry might not know about. I do think it's really, really important and, and a really good thing that SEEK does in terms of sort of getting this mix of really technical people who are you know very very focused on commutation and very very focused on on grinding circuits and things and actually bringing in also sort of some of the higher level sort of strategic things around um you know broader energy issues and esg and and, and things like that and having everyone in the same room having this conversation so that we can all actually understand um what's going on from a from a common basis the workshops themselves obviously really really important and uh, you know anecdotally you hear from all of the attendees that they're really really valuable and there's a lot of really good information that comes out of them so it, it will be interesting i think in in this transition from sort of in person to online to back to in person again how that sort of plays out but where i see certainly the real value of of online or even a hybrid event, right? Which is online in one place, oh, online everywhere, sorry, but uh, also in a location. Uh, and that's something that's becoming used quite a lot in here in Singapore, actually. To get now this, or have this accessibility for these events from all around the world and people you wouldn't otherwise get to see. So when you have a workshop that's you know, in Australia, then you get the people who are in the nearby mine sites or the nearby companies to come but as soon as we go online and we actually just open it up to this entire global audience and you know, the the seat directors themselves are truly global um you know we're in so many time zones which which means we get some very early mornings it's very late nights but uh, it, it is a truly global group with input from all over the world and i think you know the more we can extend our reach from these workshops into this online world as well where we can get a whole bunch of people participating who might not otherwise be able to i think is fantastic so truly global with input from mine site prof uh, professionals as well as suppliers and researchers all coming together seek events whether they're in person and with sufficient funding hybrid or online events i guess the key thing is that they can really help get people working together on shared industry challenges with that specific focus on eco-efficient combination and processing. And that's important for accelerating industry's ESG actions. And of course, we've got the SEEK Resource Centre um, and the SEEK Network to help in the background, which occurs all of the time between all industry events. So it helps bring it to being a more live um, movement of interacting and supporting each other. So what do you think SEEK's impact can be and, and how um, can we help industry lead that, those changes need for ESG? Yeah, so I think SEEK can have a very profound impact on, on the industry and um, on energy and on emissions and uh, advancing the, the ESG conversation as well. So certainly ESG itself has become such a critical issue for 
all companies, not just the mining industry, but the mining industry is is very much in the crosshairs of, um, of this right now, maybe just after the oil and gas industry. But um, SEEK can actually have a huge impact on that conversation and feeding into that conversation. And then in, even in practical terms as well, you know, SEEK has the ability to have uh, an enormous impact on what is a really large user of energy overall, you know, the mining industry and and the whole process of what I like to say, turning big rocks into little rocks, uses a whole lot of energy globally. And this is a real, you know, tangible way that SEEK can provide the information to assist miners and operators to reduce that energy consumption and actually have quite a big impact globally. So, Mark, you've been involved in um, authoring a new energy and mining report, uh, which has now been released, or at least it will have by the time this webinar is released. Tell us what you did and what you found in, in that study. So, yeah, we at PLC came, came to seek with, with a question. How much energy does um, combination use? How much energy does the mining industry use? And um, that is a simple question with not such a simple answer. So because every mine site is different, because every commodity is different, because the mining industry is very, very diverse um, and all the energy systems are different and all, all of these things make that actually quite a difficult question to answer. So I ended up um, uh, being commissioned by them to, to write a report that actually looked at what is the total energy impact of the mining industry um, to, to the best that we can estimate it, given the available information, and then looking at a subsection of critical commodities, what does the energy split look like for those commodities, and then can we extrapolate any, any information around how much energy does the mining industry use? How much energy does um, communication use? Right? And then that gives us an idea of what the size of the problem is. So, so we looked at some key commodities um, and, and they were all sort of key future-facing commodities. These are sorts of things that we'll be needing quite a lot of in the future and did a pretty thorough literature survey looking at all of these papers and all these life cycle assessments and a number of different things to drill down on where is the energy being used, how much energy is being used across these industries. And then um, extrapolated that out to the entire industry, came up with, with basically an, an estimate that a number that probably won't mean anything to anyone, but 12 exajoules of energy is used in the mining industry. And this is final energy use. So it's consumption of electrons or consumption of diesel in, um, in, in mobile equipment, which is about uh, equivalent to the energy consumption of Germany is being used by the mining industry as a whole. And of that, what we found was that about 1% of total energy, total final energy use globally is actually being used in communication, being used in this process of taking big rocks and turning them into little rocks for processing, uh, which is quite significant. That, that is, you know, a reasonable chunk of, of the world's energy. And if we can find some way to even reduce that by 10% or 15%, then that has global impacts. Because 1% doesn't sound like much, but 1% of the total energy that we're all using is, is actually quite profound. It's, it's a very, very large number for one single process that's employed in a number of places around the world. So 
the numbers in that report where you talked about the final energy usage across the mining industry as a whole is equivalent to the consumption of Germany and that around 1% of that total primary energy is actually used in comminution globally. What commodities are we talking about? What part of the mining industry? Because actually how you measure that depends on, you know, um, you know affects what that number is. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, so the the 1% actually refers to the amount of energy going into communication in hard rock mining. Um, right? So it actually excludes cement and, um, and quarrying, which, you know, is also a reasonable energy, energy user in, in that area, but just for the purposes of this week. But when we did the study, we looked at um, copper, nickel, iron ore, gold and lithium. Right? And then you as being sort of some key commodities for the future but of course they only make up a small part of the the total uh, mining industry uh, as well and in fact you know i think the most mined commodity in terms of you know actual bulk movement of material is coal but then you know, iron ore is probably not too far behind that so these are all sort of critical minerals for the future that we've looked at and used that as the basis to to extrapolate out you know what we considered to be a reasonable estimate for the total amount of energy used in, in combination, which is this sort of 1% of total global energy being used in the combination area. About, we estimate probably across the mining industry for a mine site that's got a combination circuit in it, it's somewhere between sort of 25 and 45% of total energy use for that mine site goes into that process into combination. And that means that comminution is, I think you said in your report, the single depth that's the largest energy consumer for most mine sites. Maybe you can articulate that better than me. Do you want to give that a go? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what it is, is when you look at the total energy use, actually, then it's probably a little bit more towards diesel and actually moving rock around than, um, than crushing and grinding rock. But the process of moving rock around is actually split across a whole bunch of different um, pieces of equipment. So you've got haul trucks, you've got drills, you've got um, excavators, you've got loaders, all of these different things go into that. And, and there's lots of little pieces of equipment, not that the haul truck is particularly little, but um, it is lots of smaller pieces of equipment. Whereas combination is crushing and grinding. So it's maybe two or three crushes and one really big sag mill and maybe a, a ball mill or two. So it's fewer pieces of equipment, but using a whole lot of energy. So when I talk about it is the largest single user of energy, communication as, as a box, you know, as a single process uses the most energy on a, on a mine site. That's what, um, what I'm trying to explain there. So what you're saying is that of the total energy across all of the mine site steps, diesel and transporting rock around probably consumes the majority of the energy, but that is split across many different steps. Whereas the equipment or step with the single biggest energy consumption is actually the combination. So yeah. it's a key target for energy and emissions improvement actions by miners. Absolutely. And I suppose this gets us back to this, this original conversation around, you know, debottlenecking as well, you know, the, the sag mill being a really capital intensive, really energy intensive piece of equipment is what you design the entire process around. So, so that is effectively your, your bottleneck, right? Because everything else hangs off how much material can you put into the front of the mill. 
and how much material do you get out? So, and, and the entire process is designed around that. So this report said that the energy intercommunication um, is about 1% of the world's primary energy in hard rock mining, which excludes cement quarrying, when we measure the critical minerals and metals of the future of copper, nickel, iron ore, gold and lithium, like five really important um, metals, if you like. Um, but of course, when we include cement and quarrying, uh, it, it's going to be more than 1% of the global energy usage um, consumed by combination and perhaps up to 3%, um, according to some SEEK previous estimates, pooling some studies in cement and quarrying. Um, is that what you're seeing? Yes, the, the, those numbers are about right. So, so mm. yeah, including cement and quarrying. And, and um, when, when you look at the volume of traded commodities globally, sand and the stuff that goes into the cement industry and into the quarrying industry is much, much higher than, than anything that comes out of the mining industry. That, that's just a fact. You know, more sand is traded globally than anything else other than, I think, oil and water. So, yeah, when you start to include those numbers, now there's, it's less actual grinding and crushing going on in those areas, but it's still significant, and that will bring the number up to this sort of somewhere between 1.8 and 3% um, energy being used in communication processes globally across the year. Across mm. the world. So sand and cement production is much higher um, communication energy usage than anything out of the mining industry, um, a huge consumer of energy. Um, so yeah. alongside the production of those five key metals, um, we also need to be sharing knowledge across those industries, um, you know, in quarrying, um, cement production, um, aggregate production, um, as well as the production of, of critical minerals and metals for the world, um, particularly as we all strive towards net zero and renewables, we really need to be sharing that knowledge. And I guess that's a part of what SEEK shares. We have um, on our website, we share um, fantastic initiatives from different parts of the mining, crying and cement industry, and we'd like to do that more. Um, and in fact, one of the really interesting things is that some of the um, lower footprint combination approaches like HBGR have been used, in fact, first in, in other industries like the cement in industry and then taken up by um, broader um, mining of, of metalliferous ores. Um, so, so I think we certainly can learn a lot from each other by using existing un well understood and demonstrated um, processing approaches and putting them across into different commodities. So there's a lot of really good work going on there. So Mark, the report is really quite unique because it not only talks about global mining energy usage and that target of combination energy use, how much energy is consumed for those five key metals, but it begins to talk about the solutions and in particular starts to link that with decarbonisation. I'd really like to hear uh, what key points you brought up in the report so that people can, can see that this is also trying to open up a conversation across the industry about how we decarbonise and uh, what, what steps are going to be key. Yeah, so in the report itself, I, I do bring up a whole lot of different both energy saving opportunities and leading into that conversation around decarbonisation opportunities, which, which is sort of the thing that we're all striving for as well. Um, and talk about you know, a number of different ways in which we can achieve that, some of which are around you know, different equipment. You've already mentioned HPGRs, and, and that is one area. Should, of course, with all the right caveats, should the ore be amenable to it and should the ore you know, be able to be processed in, in a HPGR, then there's a really good opportunity to save the significant energy 
from a change to that technology. Now, it becomes a little bit difficult, I think, as I said right at the beginning, around making that change of a brownfields expansion. That could be a little bit difficult because you're now already stuck with the plant that you've got. But um, uh, for a greenfield site, certainly something that could be um, explored. Also look a lot at energy savings that we can achieve in you know, the mining portion of the mining industry. So, you know, uh, things we could do around alternative fuels for um, haul trucks and for um, mobile equipment and the growth in battery electric for um, for these equipments, the use of maybe trolley assist on haul um, uh, inclines uh, as well. So where you have like a, a tram set up on top of your haul truck, which uh, uh, would then connect into electricity for going uphill, save yourself a significant amount of diesel for that. So those sorts of opportunities are in there. Renewable energy is mentioned um, as well as a way to, to achieve decarbonization across the industry. And then, you know, even all the way down to, to the very simple, which is you should all be doing energy audits and have a good view of what energy consumption is and have a, a dedicated process for identifying opportunities for saving energy you know, and have that going through this annual cycle as well. So yeah, so a few ideas on, on how to reduce the impact of mining. So I really want to thank WEAR PLC for having the vision, seeing that there's an industry, seeing that there's an, was an issue here that we really need to to measure and talk about global mining energy usage so that we can target the improvements, um, target the improvements in terms of cost, um, energy efficiency and productivity, but also decarbonisation pathways. So this report's really um, an excellent resource because it not only talks about the energy consumed by those five key commodities in mining, and in particular combination being a very important target to improve, but also the pathway to decarbonise and improve energy costs and efficiencies. I would like this to start um, you know, a conversation where we're really sharing knowledge on that. Um, what would you really like, Mark, out of this report? What would you like to see from industry? I think what I'd like to see from industry, uh, and we're already starting to see this, right? we're already starting to see this commitment for change and, and this, these real moves towards decarbonisation and um, improving how mining is done. And currently, I think a lot of it is sitting with the really, really big players, um, as well as some of the more sort of agile players who are coming up and trying to do things differently. And um, I'm not sure whether I would call FMG an agile player anymore, or now we're just a really big player who still acts agile. But um, I think that sort of thinking does need to filter down through all of the companies, all of the organizations who are um, doing this work. And as we go on and as ESG and climate change risk becomes much more important factor for investors and lenders and things like that. So now your performance in ESG and your performance in decarbonisation will potentially impact your ability to raise debt or raise equity. This, this is a very real risk that exists right now. So that will start to filter through the entire industry. You know, it's just that the, the bigger companies are um, targets at the moment. So then what I'd really like to see is that just sort of get picked up and these considerations be a really important part of the thinking for all companies who are operating in this space and everyone who's either 
progressing a new project or continuing operation of their old project and figuring out how they can do things differently so they can minimize their own impact on the environment whilst still of course turning a profit making money selling product because we all need all these products all the time so this is a real opportunity across industry to see a commitment to change um, to recognize the problem acknowledge the problems um, and shared industry challenges particularly around energy and emissions but also um, water which is SIC is um, working into as well and for companies to share knowledge, how to decarbonize, how to improve energy efficiency, and how to improve productivity, which makes business sense because it drives value from the mine sites. That's good for shareholders, but it also drives ESG actions, which means better support from financial institutions in the current and future environment of, of ESG, transparency and performance. And it also means that our investors and shareholders and communities benefit and are happier as well. Well, one thing I, I just like to say, where I can draw some really good analogues between climate change decarbonisation and, and ESG things and safety. So the mines, the mining companies all really work together on safety and share a lot of information around safety because there's, when one company wins in this area, all of the companies win. Right, the whole industry wins and the whole industry is lifted by um, good performance that sort of filters through through every company. So I see ESG, climate change, decarbonisation as being quite similar. So there's an area where we can actually all share information about what we're doing and how we're achieving these goals and as a result lift the standing of the entire industry um, in terms of social license and stakeholder views, et cetera. So th there's a real benefit, I think, in working together in that way. So just like safety, ESG and decarbonisation are really critical shared industry challenges. And if we collaborate, we can improve all of industry, individual companies, individual sites, but we can also get much better support from our investors, our shareholders and our communities. So Mark, the future, industry and seek. Uh, what's your vision for industry in the next three years, by 2030, and maybe further out by 2050? Well, all of my visions for the future involve some level of decarbonisation, as you might expect. By 2050, I'll start with the end. By 2050, basically all companies, um, all mining companies as well, need, must be at net zero emissions. There's, there's no arguing with that number. Um, by 2030, we should all actually be very much on our way. So we should be sort of having these goals around 30, 40% reduction in emissions um, by that time. And that it does include the use of offsets, but it's a whole nother, we could spend another few hours talking about that. Within the next three years, it's actually all about putting in place these plans and roadmaps and extending on these commitments for net zero by 2050 and actually elaborating, what are you doing every five years out to 2050? right because that's the important thing you know a, a target of 2050 is, is quite a long way away and uh, net zero by 2050 in some ways almost becomes a little meaningless because it is too far away but what is really critical is how do you get there what is the roadmap mark what's your vision for seek what would you like seek to do in the next three years and by 2030 yeah, so as I've said, SEEK has a really, really important role to play in this whole conversation. I can see that role sort of expanding and growing. I would absolutely love to see uh, the Energy Curves project, which uh, is now currently focused on commutation, but see that extended to whole of site and then to emissions curves. That would be awesome. 
and then some of the work that we're already starting to consider around water curves and bringing in sort of these other elements that are also really critical for um, for mining operations and this sort of confluence between energy production water and putting them all together and emissions of course and being sort of the place that you come to for good quality independent peer-reviewed information about these items so you'd like to see seek free tools the existing energy curves extended across mine sites the creation of new free emissions curves and the creation of new free water curves and really also boosting our resources so provision of free knowledge sharing and benchmarking tools and information across industry Thanks for listening and we hope you found value and ideas from this episode. Your voice can also help us to expand the conversation and actions around eco-efficient mineral processing. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive rating or even write a quick review on Google or Apple iTunes. If you'd like to stay informed and involved, you can tap into our free resources at our website, seekthefuture.org. That's C-E-E-C-thefuture.org. You can subscribe to our monthly Seek News, which also lets you know new podcasts, videos and events. And you can join our visionary sponsors. Just email admin at seekthefuture.org. Thank you.